what do you really get out of a $45,000 car versus a $35,000 car? And if you're like, this will make me happier, you're wrong. Hi, my name's Alyssa. And my name is Bridget. And you're listening to Money Feels, the podcast where we finally reveal that luxury vehicles aren't really the wealth signals that you think they are. The truth that people are not ready to accept. (laughs) (laughs) And diving into the finance first lease conversation because people really love when we dive into the numbers. Yeah. And I think this is one that people are dying to know. Like, I feel like I get this question every second day. I do too. And I've, I was saying to Bridget before we hit record that I've definitely done a Instagram poll about this, but I didn't save anything. So I guess this is where you can get the information now. And I'm kind of excited about it. Bridget seems really fired up. So we're ready ready to dive into everything you want to know about vehicles and their costs. But before we do, how does your money feel today, Alyssa? Oh my gosh. I started thinking about it before I hopped in to the room to chat with you. And I was like, I haven't thought about money for at least two weeks. I don't even recognize you. (laughs) I think I've just been so busy that I haven't had time to like log into my bank accounts, worry about what's going on. I'm just like, I'm secure enough to know that everything's paid for and it'll be okay. Like, I'm just like, I don't have time to worry and I don't need to worry. So why would I waste my energy? I'm so proud of you. That's, (laughs) That's the way to do it. I love it. I don't like... When I think about it now, I'm like, oh, that sounds like bad. Like I should be doing it. But now I'm just like, maybe it's good to overwork yourself. Then you don't have time to think about money. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) How does your money feel today? I think pretty good, but I'm kind of in limbo. As you know, my air conditioner broke and I Mm -hmm. thought that I had broke it, but then the technician came over and he's like, you didn't break it. It's still under (laughs) warranty. So I don't, I don't know if I, like, we still don't know. It's kind of up for debate now. So I don't know if I'm getting it like replaced for free or if I do have to pay a repair fee. So I'm, I don't know. Yeah. Cause there's like a, there's a big difference between free and paying for repairs. So (laughs) especially with an air conditioning system. Yeah, because I thought that I like broke it and the internet told me I would have to replace the whole thing, which is like $4,000. So I was mad. Like last week, I was just furious. Oh, yeah, you're fired up. I was getting your texts and I was like, she is heated right now. (laughs) I was texting you from a cafe and I kid you not, I was crying in the cafe. (laughs) I was so (laughs) furious. Like I'm a crier. People think that I'm like a very strong person and I think I am and I think my words are strong, but I'm like my physical disposition is a wimp. And so I was texting you furiously from a cafe crying in public about my broken air conditioner and they comped my coffee. So that was nice. (laughs) I wish I was brave enough to cry in public. I'm the opposite of you. On the inside, I am weak. On the outside, I look... (laughs) flawless. <laughs> That's so true. That's a classic cancer though. Your hard shell outside and just goo inside. That's right. Um, We're okay. off topic. <laughs> As let's, always. Let's talk about cars. Okay. I actually wanted to start by asking you what your car situation is. Do you lease? Do you finance? Do you own? What's going on? Oh, I was going to ask you that too. So good first question. Um, I own my car. I did finance it. I guess technically I still have a little bit of a car loan left. I always kind of forget about it because it's so small Mm -hmm. now. I think it's $5,000 or just under $5,000. Oh, that's nothing left. You're good to go. (laughs) I know. Like I could could quite literally just transfer the money over and pay it off. But I don't know. Interest rates and savings accounts are good now. So like, why would I? And I bought my car used when I got it. It's a 2015 Mercedes GLA. So it's like this tiny little SUV. It's actually too small. I wish I had gotten the GLC, but I mean, this is what I have. And I financed part of it. I can't remember totally what I put down, but I think my loan was small. It was like $27,000 or I don't know if that's small or not, but 
that was the amount. And I remember paying it like really aggressively at the beginning. And then I kind of really slacked off. And especially as the balance got lower, I prioritized other things because I think other things are better. But yeah, my car loan now doesn't bother me. It definitely did when it was higher, but now I just don't even care. Also, my interest rate is low because I bought it in 2018, right? (laughs) Yeah, that's true. It's so different now. I That sounds great. I feel like that's a good little vehicle. Yeah, I'm happy with it. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) So I lease, which is like most financial people would be like, (gasps) what? (laughs) (laughs) You've always leased though. You are very pro-leasing, I think. This is this is my fourth year of leasing a vehicle. So prior to that, I had only ever owned used vehicles. Oh, and okay. Yeah. So I really, when I first leased this vehicle, well, when I first started leasing in general, Nick and I had just one vehicle and it was already paid off in full. And we were like, we don't need another car. And then we bought our house and started to live our lives in a bigger city and realized we needed two vehicles. So we went in and decided to lease because, for one thing, we just bought a house. So coming up with another down payment didn't really seem ideal (laughs) at that time. And also because we had a kid and we were like, who knows where we'll be uh, like three to five years from now. So we ended up leasing and I leased a Mazda like a little CX-3 or Mazda 3 and those are nice I love Mazdas and I remember everyone who drove them in high school and then everyone was like hot (laughs) girls drive Mazdas and I was like one day I'm gonna own a Mazda (laughs) so (laughs) I leased a little car I fell in love with it and then when the pandemic happened, they were obsessively looking for used vehicles because it was really hard to find any resources. Like there just weren't cars available. They were so aggressive. They The dealership tried to buy my car like six times and they were going to pay, I think, like what I originally bought it for. And I'm like, this is nuts. <laughs> yeah. And that's what they did to me. They were like, if you bring it in early, we'll like get you a really good deal on a newer vehicle. And at this point, I was like, well, we do have two kids now and we like potentially will need to carpool with other kids. So we need an extra row in our vehicle. So we went in, we were able to get a Mazda CX-9 for the same lease price, which it was like a brand new 2022 vehicle. And it was the same price as the little Mazda 3. Oh, your car is like new, new. That's like just last year. Holy cow. Yeah. So we've had it for only one year in June and I love it. That's nice. Yeah. And I like, I feel like I leased for like many reasons because people always want to know that. I leased because it was less maintenance costs. Like when you have that brand new of a vehicle, you don't have to worry about it breaking down, which is something I dealt with all the time with my old used vehicles. See, mine like never breaks down. I take it in for like annual maintenance, which is kind of expensive because it's a Mercedes, but it like, I guess I've had to do minor things, but there's nothing that I've ever thought like, wow, this is an insane cost. But, and I guess now my car is eight years old and it still doesn't, but when do car problems start? (laughs) I don't even know. Well, I think they start when you can't afford to do the annual maintenance because that was my problem. I was just (laughs) crossing my fingers (laughs) and hoping that everything would be okay on vehicles that that had like nearly 200,000 miles. So (laughs) it wasn't a great plan. Oh, okay. It makes more sense to me now. Yeah. (laughs) But yeah, that and the flexibility really just because I don't like not knowing what we'll be doing in life in a few years and whether we'll need to (laughs) shift what vehicles we drive because having kids is like, it's just a different ball game when it comes to cars. Yeah, we know. We know from the last episode that you're a maximizer. Can't. Can't have any I feel like, isn't that why you bought a car though? Because you have a kid? Yeah, if that's a good point actually. If I hadn't had a kid, I would not have a car because I think they're a little bit well, I have a mixed relationship with cars. Like I really love them like aesthetically and I think they're cool. Like I want a car as a luxury item. I don't 
like having a car as a practical item. I find it very annoying. And even now, I would say my car stays parked probably like three or four days a week because I just walk everywhere. And that's what I like. But yeah, I didn't even get my car until my daughter was one year old. And even the main reason I got it then is because the car seat, I needed to have an actual car seat in the car because before with the carrier, you know how you can just like belt it into a car? with the mm-hmm. infant carrier. I was doing yeah. that in like taxis and car to go. And then eventually when she needed to be in an actual car seat, I was like, oh shoot, I need a car for the car seat. And that's when I got a car. <laughs> yeah. Right. So yeah, that, that was the same thing for us. Like we didn't need two vehicles, but then all of a sudden it's like the amount of places you're traveling around and the amount of stuff you carry with you. It's just hard to transport those any other way. So basically, transportation costs are actually just more child-rearing costs. It's true. I should include that (laughs) in my spreadsheets under family. (laughs) It's not under transportation. It's a family cost. It is. Okay. So basically, when it comes to financing versus leasing, there's the monthly payments are a little bit different. If you lease a vehicle, the cost is generally a little bit lower because you're paying for the depreciation of the vehicle over the lease. Before we even get into the technicalities of that, I think the easiest way to understand like leasing versus renting is leasing is really a long-term rental of a car. Like you're fundamentally renting the car and financing you own the car. And that's what it really comes down to on the differential. And so it comes down like, do you want to own your car or do you just want to have a long-term rental for three or five or seven years? I don't even know how long leases go up to now. I think quite a while. I think as long as you want. But that's actually, it's the same as renting versus owning property. <laughs> Pretty <laughs> Except much. it depreciates instead of <laughs> keeps up with inflation for the most well, part. Well, it depends what type of property you buy too. <laughs> It depends what year it is, right? Because they did yeah. all appreciate during the pandemic. Um, but yeah, that's a good point. Those are the main, that's the main difference overall. The financial differences. But there are like circumstances, of course, where I think it makes more sense to lease. And there are circumstances where it makes more sense to buy. But fundamentally, at the end of the day, I think it does come down to personal preference. Like you said, you had a lot of like personal reasons of why you wanted a lease. And I think that's like, a good enough reason to choose it. Like, people always ask, like, which is the best or whatever. And there are obviously mathematical calculations to do of whether renting or sorry, leasing or buying is going to be right for you. But it does come down a lot to like personal preference and what is easiest for you to manage. Yeah, I feel like I didn't really consider the financial side at all. <laughs> what? What? <laughs> what? What do you mean? <laughs> because the solution was we need a vehicle, we need flexibility, and we need to not have to worry about something breaking down. And You're that was my favorite. Leasing personal finance person (laughs) you're like I didn't consider the finances of like the second most expensive thing that I own after my house but I think that's part of it because like I am less concerned about the house like yes you want it to be within what you can afford of course like you have to consider that side of it and I wasn't like just picking any vehicle at a dealership and being like sure this one's good I knew like how much it cost but I need a place to live and I need transportation yeah, so. mine was mine was like, how can I get the nicest luxury vehicle that wasn't an arm and a leg? <laughs> and that's how I chose. See, so we're both great <laughs> financial experts. <laughs> I feel like now, though, because I've really gone on a tear against cars this year, I think. I don't know. They're just really... Uh, bothering me because I've run the math a lot more closely. I don't know if I would have made the same decision now with the knowledge and understanding that I have now about the finances. I would have chosen. I think I should have chosen a cheaper car. Like I think I went. I like I got what I could afford. Obviously, it's never been bothersome, but I have been thinking a lot. Like I, I put more money into my car than should have really gone elsewhere from the time that I bought it 
I think. Like, I was in different financial circumstances then and stuff. Like, I mean, this was five years ago. So a lot <laughs> has changed. But I'm like, oh, like, you, prob- you probably could have gotten like a $20,000 car and still had the same payoff. And it's silly that I spent extra on it, I guess, is the point I'm saying. But you only spent 7000 extra. No, that was the loan. The car was more than that. But I put down, oh, gotcha. I can't remember what amount. Like, I... I actually can't remember. It was oh, it was like maybe the car was like thirty five thousand or something. I I literally have no idea. I guess it's probably on the original loan statement, and I should have reviewed it before this. But I was like, <laughs> I just don't care. I just know the balance right now is like four nine something. <laughs> well, and that's why when it comes to these bigger decisions, I do defer to like the die with zero method because the I- die with zero method. <laughs> Because I'm like, I use my vehicle daily, like driving uh-huh. my kids somewhere or going to an activity. And I want to be comfortable. I want I want the tech. Like I'm a sucker for good tech in a car. I want all of the nice luxury things that I wasn't able to have when I didn't have financial security. And I'm like, uh-huh. this brings me joy. Every time I get in this car, I feel like it was a good decision. Even if long term or 10 years from now, I was like, oh, I should have spent less money and gotten a more affordable vehicle. I don't know if mm-hmm. that's the case. I feel like I'll still be happy with this choice and the lease 10 years from now. Yeah, I think that's like a, a different question, though, because I mean, yeah, same thing. You can always assess your purchases emotionally or you can assess them financially. And most of us will make a decision that's a blend of both. I think cars are a highly emotional purchase before I thought they were like very practical. But now I'm like, no, everyone really just buys a car on like what's the nicest thing I can afford? Because that's the main question I get actually is how much car can I afford on this income? And they'll put their income. And like, there is this mental idea, like this mental framework that our car is tied to how much money we're making. So you expect to own a different car at making $60,000 a year versus $90,000 a year versus $200,000 a year. And I think that's bogus. That's what I have against it. Well, and I think it's interesting because it's the same as when you go to buy a house. Like the bank will tell you you can afford way more than you actually should buy. (laughs) Yeah. The same thing happens when you go to a dealership. They're going to tell you that you can afford way more vehicle than you need. Because they just give you the payment. (laughs) Yeah. When I lived in Fort McMurray, people love big trucks and nice vehicles out there. Like that is a wealth signal for people in Fort McMurray. And I was told that when they were at their peak, like when there was a big boom there, that you didn't even need to prove your income. You could just take like a pay stub from working your like rigs job or your oil sands job. I didn't prove my income when I got my car. I bought my car after like a year of maternity leave I didn't want to take. So yeah, (laughs) I didn't prove my income. They just looked at my credit score. Oh, and like I gave my income and they could confirm it if they wanted to, but they didn't even do that there. So people were taking really massive vehicle loans, even though they, they always do. Didn't even, yeah, that's just how it goes. So when you ask like how much vehicle can I afford on this salary, it, that should never be a question you ask. It should be, well, what do I need and what does that cost? I think what you have to keep in mind when you're buying a car, especially when you're at a car dealership, is they have virtually no interest in how the car is going to impact you financially long term. They're just trying to get it off the lot. And they will do whatever math is necessary to sell it to you. And I don't fault car salesmen at all. Like Everyone has to earn their money how they want. And sales is a skill. And many of them are very skilled at it. And that's incredible. But like no one's there to try to do you a favor. No one's getting you a deal. If even if they say that you're, they're getting you a deal. It's like no, they're just they're just trying to sell you a thing. And did you see those like viral videos that were going around about like it was from a car dealership in the states, and they were like, "How much is your monthly car payment?" And like everyone was like twelve hundred dollars, sixteen hundred dollars a month, like insane numbers. And they just got like ripped apart for trying to normalize car payments over $1,000. I do remember that TikTok. Wasn't it the sales staff that actually worked at the dealership sharing? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, That was shocking. That's so much. I can't even, like, I don't even think my car payment was over $400 when I 
bought my car and yeah, it, I can't imagine like people thinking a thousand dollar car payment is normal. But then I also have these discussions on TikTok when I do those like budget analyses for the Toronto Star and I'll like comment on someone's car costs and it will be like $650 a month. And I'll be like, this is kind of high. And people just freak out and they're like, that's how much cars cost. I'm like, no, you could, you could get cheaper cars, you guys. <laughs> yeah. I, I think that's really interesting. It, like I don't know what are they including their just their vehicle payment or are they cl- including like transportation costs as well like gas and all of that is that included It depends how it's broken down usually it's just like car payment and then they have insurance and gasoline as separate lines are yeah it's all over the place but I don't know I th- I think I calculated recently cuz I like very brazenly posted my budget to my Instagram stories and which was harrowing for me. And I hit <laughs> it the was. next 24 hours. But I think even my car came in at like $700 a month after after um, all of those other payments. Yeah, because insurance is like just over 100. And I probably well, now gas is kind of expensive. I probably spend 250 to $300 a month on gas. So yeah, so you're like, there's $400 of it right there. Yeah, I think that is something that people also need to consider when they're asking how much vehicle can I afford is how much will insurance cost for the vehicle you want and whether you're financing or leasing and yeah, how much are you going to spend on gas every single month? You can do estimations to find that out. I didn't realize this, but leased vehicles typically have higher car insurance premiums. Did you know that? I actually didn't know it, but it makes a lot of sense because you don't own the vehicle. Right. So there's no like salvage cost for you. Yeah, you're paying the insurance on behalf of the dealership. You're protecting them, not you. Oh, that's true. That's such a good way to put it. And I liked when you said earlier that leasing is fundamentally financing the depreciation of a car, which is kind of a weird way to think about it, that you're literally just paying for the amount that the car is decreasing in value. And then the deal is like the dealership get, gets to keep the asset at the end, or you can make a balloon payment to buy the car, but that's very, very expensive. So I'm actually curious, what's your plan with your leased vehicle? Are you going to buy it out, do you think? Or do you think you'll just get a new car when your lease is up? I mean, that's why... I have it is so I don't have to think about that because it's just so far away. (laughs) Like I (laughs) will, I will. I'm on a three year lease and we're coming up at the end of year one. And that's, I only ever choose three years. I feel like I was willing to pay. It was like $50 more to go from four years to three. But at the end of three years, it's less likely that I'll have put a ton of miles on the vehicle. It's a short enough period that I would know if I love the vehicle, know what we're doing, like how we're doing financially, like it's less stressful because it's not as far away. And then it's just like if I do end up wanting to buy the vehicle, I would actually probably end up doing better because I did a shorter lease. Oh, that part's true. Yeah. I find like leasing stressful in some conditions because there are like the restrictions on it. Like, do you have a kilometers restriction on your car? Yeah. So that's some of the main differences is there's mileage restrictions. So if you drive a lot, you really need to consider the cost. For me, it's I think like 30,000 kilometers per year. Oh, that's high. That's a lot. You don't drive that much. Between 20 to 30. No, no. I And like that was another reason I got such a good deal when I least the second time because I had put less than 20,000 kilometers on my Mazda 3. So like that's why it ended up being a wash. I feel like 20,000 is a normal because I don't drive very much but then I drive a lot between Calgary and Edmonton and so I think I come in at 18 to 20,000 a year. Yeah so that you also can be charged at the end of your lease for wear or tear and damages, Mm -hmm. which is all listed in there. And you can buy like an extra package to protect yourself from if your windshield's cracked or any of those smaller things. Um, I hit up my car loving dad and asked if it was worth that package. And he said, really, you'd probably be able to cover those costs on your own outside of returning the vehicle. Um, And then obviously the other big differences are the cost of the monthly payments because leases are actually generally lower than Mm -hmm. financing. And then they are, yeah. 
which we've already talked about the other ones, which is insurance costs and the ownership, which is like, if you lease, you return the vehicle or you purchase it at the end, which is then an additional cost that you need to consider. Yeah, a higher fee. Like they don't like leasing is to serve the dealership really. And that's why the cost is easier on you. Whereas ownership is to serve you, but then the cost is heavier on you is basically the thing to consider it. Because if you're buying a car, like the advantage is just that you own the car. You don't have to worry about mileage. You don't have to worry about wear and tear. Like obviously you have to take care of it because it's your car, but there's no financial penalty for driving 40,000 kilometers in a year, except that you drove 40,000 kilometers, which would be annoying. Um, uh, Do you count? I'm Well, I guess you lease, so you don't do this, but would you count your car in your net worth like do you count it as equity or do you think people absolutely should? not no no I don't think so it depreciates I normally the second don't you drive either. it off the lot yeah or it used to in the well there's like <laughs> that weird chance where it could somehow increase in value but there would have to be very very minimal wear and tear on that vehicle as well yeah no um I also don't count my car in my net worth when I, I I calculate, like I keep the car loan in my net worth, but I don't keep the actual car. But I mean, I know some people do, but I think it's really like a vanity metric. I think you're really reaching if you want to include your car in your net worth, because it's not a very liquid asset. Like it's annoying to sell. It's not like selling stocks. And if you sell it, then you have no car. And you will yeah. need to do something else for transportation. So you have to incur transportation costs elsewhere. So I never include it in my net worth. But I mean, like, technically, you do own it. And it is an asset by some measures. <laughs> uh, we do. So I guess I should clarify. We do include the value of Nick's vehicle in oh, our you net do. worth. Because it's fully paid off. So when mm-hmm. we're calculating our net worth, we check the current value that year. So like it might oh, go down, okay. might go up. So it is something we could sell if we needed to. And that's why I would consider it a part of our net worth. But the vehicle that I lease, no. A vehicle that I'm still paying for or financing, no. Because you don't own it yet. You're still paying yeah. those monthly payments. Yeah, a leased one definitely doesn't count. But that makes sense that the one you own outright, you yeah, you count. I do like, so me owning my car especially now it's like nearly paid off. I do like knowing that, like that I'm just going to have a car at the end and then I'll have no vehicle costs whatsoever besides like insurance and gas, I guess. And I am, this is going to sound so terrible, but I kind of like am considering getting a second car because every individual needs two cars for themselves. (laughs) (laughs) I'm just kidding. (laughs) But I would love like, Like I said, I think cars are like a luxury item. And I think that's like a luxury item I would like. Like I would like a super fancy car. And I would love to have like my current car for practical stuff where I don't have to worry about it getting dented or damaged. Like I'll park it in a school parking lot and things like that. But I would love like a nice expensive car as like a luxury purchase. But I would lease that because I think it also makes more sense to lease more expensive vehicles especially if you think you're probably going to keep them long-term. I think if you're going to own a car for five years, then it's better to just own it. But if you're like, yeah, I kind of just want to have this experience for a short while, then I think leasing makes a lot of sense. Okay. And why would you only consider that for luxury vehicles? Or is that a rule that you would do for any type of vehicle? Um, it's actually the math behind it. So if you do dig into the math between uh, leasing versus ownership, or I guess this used to be true, I haven't run it with current interest rates. But it, I actually found and I'm looking at an old blog post from 2019 that I published on money after graduation. But I think I did these calculations even before that, because this is such a common question. And the tipping point was actually around $60,000 per year. So if you want a car that costs less than $60,000 per year, it often makes sense to own it, especially if you think you're going to keep it for, like I said, five years or longer. Once you get into cars that are more than 60000 um, like the trade-off for like it, they just are very expensive to own, and that makes mm-hmm. leasing look more attractive. Because like 
cars that expensive also like they're still appreciating at the or they're still depreciating at the same rate as cheaper cars except like a 30% depreciation on an $80,000 car is like a big hit yeah it's a big difference yeah that's like $24,000 gone in the first year or whatever so in that case um it does like make sense just because the the numbers are so big and it kind of makes more sense to lease rather than own and uh also their circumstance like not for my business because I'm an online person that works from home and cannot convince the CRA in any way that I drive (laughs) for work but other people who drive for work uh you leasing a car can be a business expense whereas like I don't think owning can talk to your accountant though but you have to you have to drive it for work a certain amount you can't you can't work from home and never go anywhere and say you have a car for work. Yeah, <laughs> that'd be nice though. Um, well, I'm curious if you still feel this way given what interest rates are right now. Oh my God. Yeah. Cause I texted, I sent them to you right before this call. Cause I hadn't looked at interest rates in a long time and I saw uh, interest rates for used cars right now are like nine to 12%, like eight or nine to 12%. And I don't know what new cars are at. They're probably like a little bit lower. I think like six to 8%, but it's, it's crazy. So uh, that's why I don't have a nice fancy car because I don't want to pay 8% for it, to be honest. Well, yeah, I was just like, so originally I had done a little bit of a calculation on what it would look like to lease a $25,000 vehicle versus finance a $25,000 vehicle. Mm-hmm. And like given the financing is typically like five-year term and leasing, I did three years, even though that is fairly short. It's typically closer to four to five years now. Yeah, I did it bef- before I knew that the interest rates were that high. <laughs> and so at the end, I was like, oh, it's clearly a better decision to finance your vehicle. And yeah. then I did a calculation with the new interest rates. And I was like, wait a minute. Is this a good choice? You're did paying- it make a big difference? I mean, a little bit. So over the cost, it like, still over should a- be similar, right? Like the gap between owning and leasing should be the same. It's just now the rates are higher. But the I would imagine the gap is the same unless that's changed. I think they just because they price things differently. So like you have the interest rate when you finance. So the cost of that loan over five years, it would end up costing you $30,000 if your interest rate was 8.99. So you'd be paying like not even 10,000 more than what the vehicles were. It's not too bad. Okay, that's not as bad as I expected. But then granted 25,000 is a cheap car. Yeah, which is hard to find. And Yeah, then- I don't even know what cars are now. I imagine they <laughs> inflated like crazy. I'm afraid to ask. Yeah, and then if you leased for 3 years at that $25,000 price point, your total cost at the end of 3 years would be $10,700. You're out that of pocket include, cost. Yeah, that doesn't include like if you had to pay extra for mileage or wear and tear or any of yeah. that. But the difference between how they like charge is that leasing doesn't have the interest rate. It has a money factor. And it's kind of like an interest rate, but it's the in, like an interest rate on a loan. A money so it's factor. expressed as a small deci- decimal number. <laughs> So it's used to figure out how much extra you'll need to pay on top of the price of the car based on how much you're borrowing. Right. Okay. So it's the price of the car plus any other fees or charges that are included in the lease. And that's called Mm -hmm. the capitalized cost. And then you multiply the money factor by the capitalized cost to figure out how much extra you have to pay for the lease. I am really good at finance and I'm having trouble following this I know I think I know what you mean but I think this is why when people are like you don't do much math on money feels I'm like this is why (laughs) (laughs) well this is a different kind of math this isn't like (laughs) math you do in your everyday life and I feel like that's why people are like wait I don't understand the difference between leasing and financing because it took me like Nick explaining to me the difference several times he worked at a dealership And I still was like, I don't understand. What's the difference? And I just ultimately was like, you know what? I'm going to go with the emotional (laughs) factors. Fair. I just think like at the end of the day, they lose their value really fast. So you need to understand like how much the vehicle's residual value is. 
and what the possible cost will be at the end of the lease. Which is big. And now that there's some interest rate risk baked into it, because you leased your car when interest rates are still low, but now when your lease is uh, expires in two more years, you're going to have to renew at the new higher interest rates, which is like a little bit of a bummer. We'll see. Things will change again in the market. I mean, not that much, but okay. <laughs> no, not that much, but I feel like we're still doing okay with the decision we made to lease because we are getting a fairly good deal. Yeah, no, I agree completely. I think really what it comes down to is just um, when you own the benefit primarily is that those transportation or those car payments eventually go away. And if you've bought a fairly new or well-maintained vehicle, then you can probably get a lot of life out of it with no car payments. But I think some people finance like older cars that maybe don't run that well and then like they need a new car anyway like they don't get any benefit of having no car payment because the one they bought just like kicks the bucket and then they have to start all over and I think a lot of people get trapped by their car payments like now that I've spent some time as especially seeing the viral TikToks of people with like thousand dollar car payments and everyone asking about like how much can I afford to spend on cars I think like we are all overly addicted to expensive cars. Like people are obsessed with them. Yeah, I and I don't understand this obsession. I've never felt like, (laughs) I know, and I don't, you'll have to explain it to me because I don't understand why luxury vehicles mean so much. I just, they're just nice. Like, uh, so I've only ever owned two cars in my whole life. My car before this, that I shared um, with an ex-partner. We had an Audi A4 and now I have my Mercedes and those are the only two cars I've never, I've ever owned in my life. I've never driven like a (laughs) regular car and I don't know. I just like them. They just like feel good to be in. Like I just think they're wonderful and beautiful. Like those weren't even super interesting cars. They were just like nice, but I think like some really high-end cars are like, aesthetically beautiful I don't know a lot about cars I tried to enroll in like the Nate car hobbyist class but now it's like all online and I actually wanted to like go in and learn about cars in person like that's how much I genuinely like them but I feel uncomfortable in car culture because I'm a girl that doesn't know anything but I do genuinely love them uh but I think like people do use it as like a status symbol and it kind of gives us all the things that status symbols give us, like whether that's like a sense of accomplishment of attaining a certain income or status at a job or things like that. Or it's, and it's one of the more showy things like people in general tend to spend more money on things that other people see. And that's kind of, I think why houses and cars and cars, especially because someone like sees your car every single place you go like not everyone's even going to see your house unless they physically come to your house uh so i think that's like the reason we like to overspend on cars because we think that they're like a reflection on us but there's a great quote in that book um the psychology of money by morgan housel where he points out that he's like people drive a nice car and they think that it makes other people think really highly of them but in reality other people just like picture themselves in the own in the nice cars they're like if they see a nice car they don't go oh wow that person's like so successful and amazing they're like I would look really good in that car (laughs) that's so funny I think that's totally accurate though like don't you yeah well I guess you don't like cars but I think that all the time like when I see a nice car I do like my first thought is like whoa nice car and then my second thought is immediately like I would love to drive that car I do not think about the driver at all and I'm like, oh, a ca- another car. Like, I just don't notice. <laughs> the red one. I was like, You're when like, you were describing red. why you like your luxury vehicle, I felt like it was the same explanation as me being like, I'm so happy getting in my Mazda every day. <laughs> it makes you- it brings me joy. You're not much of a luxury person in general, though. Like, you don't buy any luxury goods, I think. That's very true. I don't. So I, I guess I just don't get it. I just love, like, leather. Oh, and when it's like a nice color leather. Like one of my friends had like this cream leather in her Audi. And I was like, this is the most beautiful car I've ever sat in. 
Uh, okay, put a so car seat in the back. <laughs> I think I, maybe it's because like my dad loves cars and like this is his hobby. This is what he loves. And so I grew up around nice cars and I grew up going to car shows with him and so you're all just those desensitized. sorts of things. Maybe. And I'm just like, he's still, we're all the same. Like his cars didn't make him any better than anyone else. It's just like, it's always just a place. It's a way to get from point A to point B. A hundred percent. Yeah, I'm like, I think the, it didn't change anything for me. Some of them go really fast, though, and that's exciting. Like, even, I'm really restricted by the speed limit, but my car is fast. Like, my car is way faster than other people's. Like, I also notice whenever I rent a car, like, when I travel, I almost get an accident, like, every day because the car has, like, no, (laughs) no speed to it. I can't get out of the intersection. I'm like, why is it so slow? And I'm like, oh, yeah, because my Mercedes accelerates faster than any of these other cars. The fastest I've ever gone is in my dad's old M3, which is a BMW. (laughs) And, yeah, we went 235 kilometers per hour. Oh my god! So wildest feeling in the world. (laughs) Yeah. See, I don't know. I think that's exciting. It was really exciting, but I'm like, I don't need that car. (laughs) I'll get thrills in the winter when I slide over ice in my Mazda. (laughs) Oh god! (laughs) But yeah, I think a lot of people, and myself included, and this is actually one of the reasons I haven't gone ahead and maybe upgraded and got that like second dream car that I would would love to have also because like Mercedes is on back order for everything. They're like, maybe we mm-hmm. could get your custom car in 18 months, but you have to pay us now. And I'm like, what? No. Um, <laughs> but they're like, a lot of people think that a nicer car will make them happier than it will. And I think that this is wild that I found this like hilarious academic paper on this. And I've read a lot of academic papers in my life because my undergrad is in science. And I also did one year of a graduate degree in science before I quit. So I've read a lot of academic papers, and this is by far the funniest one I have ever read. Um, (laughs) And it's titled, Luxury Car Owners Are Not Happier Than Frugal Car Owners. And the author is Adam Okulitz-Kozarin, Tim Nash, and Natasha Otersi. And it was in an economics paper, economics journal that they published it but it's like first of all very clever writing so if anyone would just love a fun thing to read like you will enjoy the sarcastic quips in this academic paper which is something you don't usually see but (laughs) it was also really good data and they actually pointed out that spending more on a car and getting those high-end luxury vehicles does not actually make you happier unless you're genuinely like a car enthusiast or a car hobbyist. And I found that really interesting. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Apparently people think that spending more on a car will make them happier. So if you're at a dealership and you're trying to decide between like the options or even different cars and one is like 25,000 and the other one is 35,000, apparently like spending that extra $10,000, even for whatever features they've promised you, they're like, oh my God, it's the night package. It's uh, got a heated back seats, which actually are pretty nice, but um, (laughs) are expensive. (laughs) Like those things will not make you as happy as you think they will. And I think that's really interesting because I think in generally our psychology and understanding of the world is pretty poor. Like, I think we don't have a good handle on what will make us happy in life generally. We have no idea what we're doing. Yeah. Like (laughs) people are just walking around, like no idea what's going on, making wrong decisions all over the place. But I think cars are a place where they really make careless decisions with really irrational expectations. And I just feel the consequences are so big. Like, really the consequence of spending an extra $10,000 on a car is significant. It doesn't sound like it when they divide it down into your monthly payment or whatever, but it is even like the things you mentioned before, like it can be a higher insurance cost for a more expensive car. And what I thought was interesting in the paper is they also (laughs) pointed out that there's like an emotional cost to having high-end vehicles, or they actually talk about how you like worry about getting it scratched or dented, whereas kind of like with a cheaper beater car, you're like, whatever. (laughs) That's so true. You're probably way more stressed driving a designer vehicle. 
Yeah. And I think about that all the time, like, because I would really love a really high end car, but then I'm like, where would I drive it where like absolutely no one could touch it or ding it? Like you drive, I'd be afraid to leave it in the parking lot, like literally anywhere. That's actually why I would never be able to own one because I see them parked at the very back of the parking lots away from all of us normies. And (laughs) (laughs) now I know I couldn't do that because I need to be as close to the door as possible for convenience sake and to have that extra 25 seconds of my day. We we know how protective you are (laughs) about your time. And yeah, in it, uh, he just talks about that. And then, of course, there's additional like maintenance costs. And then, you know, your tires are more expensive if your car is nicer. So you have all these like phantom costs that are attached to it. But what really surprised me in the article is they like put it in the context um, that it's true no matter how high your income is, basically up until you make like $1 million, which almost made me faint. Because he said um, they were talking about it like the difference to go from say um, twenty five dollar car to a fifty thousand or twenty five thousand to fifty thousand dollar car. Like you would think that it wouldn't really matter for someone making like two hundred and fifty thousand dollars per year, but he still like they go over all the math about how it's this insane cost, and they're like, yeah, for the super rich it does not make much of a difference, but for the middle class it makes a big difference, and. When I, like, I started after I read this paper, started punching those numbers into, like, a future value calculator. And honestly, when you put, like, $10,000 or $25,000 or $50,000 into a future value calculator and you're really thinking, like, if I'm spending this money on a car instead of putting it in my TFSA or in my RSP or whatever, what is the cost of that? And it's, like, atrocious. Uh, It's really, like, if you want to ruin your day, that's the way to do it. <laughs> I think and this is really mind-blowing me, me right now. Yeah, it really shocked me. And even here, he's like, you can buy – and these numbers are old because I think this study is from – oh, it's from 2015. But it's American, so their cars are cheaper. But he's like, you can buy a luxury Lexus for $50,000 or a frugal Corolla for $25,000. And the difference is 25000 enough to buy 10 vacations at $2,500. And I'm like, oh, I didn't think of that. But it's like – those are the things. So what experiences are you going to miss out on in your life because you opted to have a luxury car versus just an ordinary car, both of which perform the essential function of driving you from point A to B? I have to like relate this to consumerism because we spend <laughs> so much time debating which color we should purchase of a vehicle like <laughs> oh my gosh should I go with the cobalt blue or should I go with white exterior white you, interior you're supposed to get white they get the least tickets <laughs> but stuff like that like they the psychological aspect and the emotional aspect of purchasing a car because they give you all of these decisions and it's like you're going to be happier if you choose this blue car or you're going to be happier if you have heated seats or like these are all of the things they upsell you for more money And you spend all of this time considering whether it's worth it. And you Mm -hmm. just said right there, it doesn't matter. It doesn't. Like that. So in the study, they say that going from having no car to having a car is like a huge jump in happiness. Apparently, that's like off the charts. That makes sense. Surprises absolutely no one. Yeah, that makes (laughs) total sense. He also says going from like a beater, unreliable car to a reliable car has. A significant increase in happiness. It's not this as much as going from no car to car, but it's still like substantial. So it is really worthwhile to purchase a vehicle that you can rely on that it will get you from A to B. But they say that after that, like once you have a reliable car, going from reliable to like luxury, <laughs> the trade-off is like virtually nil and in fact is really financially detrimental to you. <laughs> that makes sense. Like that does all make sense. And I I feel like maybe that is the difference is because I only owned those vehicles that were really unreliable and that were really old, that the lease does feel more secure to me and does provide more happiness. Whereas if I had never experienced my car breaking down in the middle of the city, like every single week, then it wouldn't be as big of a deal as it is. Yeah, a hundred percent. And yeah, so I'm like... I don't know. Like, I feel so conflicted inside because, again, I'm like someone that loves luxury cars, but I just think they're like a financial disaster after I read this paper. And I I don't know if anyone should own them unless they're really like, I'm wasting money. 
Yeah. And it's kind of like, it is, do you have access to other forms of transportation? And do you have the time for other forms of transportation? Like it is really a privilege to own a vehicle in the first place. Mm -hmm. So any vehicle is better than none if that's what you need. Yeah. And I think that's why they said in the study too, that that's like the biggest gain in happiness. And unfortunately, like I know this is especially true in Alberta, like our cities just aren't that pedestrian friendly, sadly. Mm -hmm. Not pedestrian friendly. There's not great public transit here. Like when you go to places like Toronto and Vancouver, uh, you just can't compare. There's just not that level of infrastructure here. It's not that good there, though. I don't know. There's many times when I've been stuck on the TTC and was not happy about it. At least you so. could get from one place to another on the TTC. <laughs> <laughs> Here you're that, lucky if yeah. you can get to another corner of the city. <laughs> yeah, that yeah, that's true for sure. But yeah, I do think like I do think owning a car can make you really happy. But I do think, and after reading this study, because I love anything that's backed up with data, I don't think there's a good case for getting a luxury or a high-end vehicle. Or any, like, do what's the average car cost now? Do we know? No, I mean that's probably not a good measure anyway. It's because hard I think because it would overspend. depend on kind. Yeah, says so the average price of a used vehicle can range between thirty three thousand and forty seven thousand. New vehicles range from forty thousand to seventy thousand. That's very high. That's actually higher than I expected. But I haven't yeah. looked at these numbers in a Statistics while. Statistics Canada. Data says the average selling price of a new car in Canada is 45000 plus tax. Yeah. And so I just don't know if we should be going for average. I think you should be trying to aim for $10,000 less than average or even less than that. Like, what do you really get out of a $45,000 car versus a $35,000 car? That's a good question to ask. And if it comes, yeah. if you're like, this will make me happier, you're wrong. You're wrong. And science says you're wrong. (laughs) Your brain is wrong. But yeah, it's it's pretty wild. So I think like we have to start considering our transportation costs in the context of like where is this removing money elsewhere in our life? Because yeah, again, like my dream, I would love a heated steering wheel. That's all I want in life. I I hate getting in my car and having to put gloves on. Like that's you know what? I have a heated steering wheel and I don't even like it. Like, it's good for some days, but it only heats up one spot of the wheel. Oh, no. Yeah, if you're okay. holding your hands at 10 and 2, it's great. But I obviously drive recklessly and just hold oh. my hands wherever I want. So I'm I'm a rule follower, so I definitely do 10 and 2. Um, but, yeah, I think we have to ask our, ourselves if, like, perks like that are worth the expense of getting out of debt sooner or um, maxing out your TFSA. And it's kind of not, but like, I think if your other financial things are all neat and tied up in a bow and you're really financially secure and you have money to burn, then you can buy a more expensive car. But I think you have to understand like basically anything after say 25 or thousand, 25 or $30,000 in a car is a luxury expense, not a necessary transportation expense. So I think I think everyone, while they're working towards other financial goals, should not spend more than that on a car. That's a pretty hard I line. Feel like, I don't know if I'm going to regret that when we publish this. <laughs> I was going to say, I feel like it's a good rule. It doesn't like, it, there's obviously a lot of moving parts and it's not going to be that exact for every single person, but it's a good, I like what you said about determining essentially like how much not how much you can afford, but how much you need. And yeah. then aiming to be 10% below the average. Like, I think those are two good rules. Obviously, we all bend the rules, but as close to those two things as you can get would be ideal. Yeah. Yeah. That's it's, and it's hard. Make that decision before you go into the dealership because they're going to mess with your brain. Uh, I just wanted to say that. Can we talk about the <laughs> importance of negotiating? At dealerships, because that for me has always been an issue. And I feel like that can be one of the biggest financial mistakes you make when it comes to buying a vehicle and deciding whether you should finance or lease. Yeah, I I saw that you put this in our doc. And then I was like, I didn't to fully understand because as you know, I play hardball in all negotiations, often to my own detriment, but I always negotiate. Do people not negotiate their cars? I don't think people realize how much they can negotiate. 
I think oh, a like lot of crazy, people think like fifteen percent. Yeah, I think a stuff. lot of people assume that they're not going to get the best price. Or when someone comes to you and says, "I got you this deal. I'm working really hard to get you this deal." Why wouldn't you believe them? Right? Because they're a car salesman. Exactly. So (laughs) I wanted to put this note in there because I feel like you said visiting the dealership should be the last step you take in the process. When you go in there, you should have already done your comparison shopping and your research. You should already know the resale value of the vehicle, the cost it will be to own that vehicle, including insurance and gas, like we mentioned the most common price that people pay. Like I would be digging into Reddit being like, did you, what what kind of deals did you get on this vehicle? Like there has to be forums for that. And know what incentives the dealerships offer because all dealerships offer different incentives and then bring it all with you. And you can also Mm -hmm. go to multiple dealerships to see if you can get a different price. You can get one price from one dealership and take that somewhere else and be like, can you do better? Can you do better? Yeah, 100%. And the last thing I want to say, too, is because it's really hard sometimes to negotiate with people or there is that fear of negotiation, even like there is with salary negotiation, I find it's the same with vehicles. I know I felt that way. If you Mm -hmm. don't like the salesperson or if you feel uncomfortable, you can ask for someone else or you can walk away. Yeah, I actually think you're in a more powerful position negotiating for a car than negotiating for your pay because you don't need the car. Like you're in the power seat for this one. If they don't give you what you want. You just leave. <laughs> and literally, if you want it to be a power seat, you're in it. <laughs> <laughs> that was perfect. <laughs> I just <laughs> I just wanted to remind people that negotiating is key. Get everything in writing because I've made the mistake of trusting people at their word. And that is you're not still a good mad choice. about your tires, huh? I'm still mad about my tires. And I feel like even the best of us can still get taken advantage of if we're focused on that emotional side of the purchase, which we now know is not the most important part of that purchase after reading that study. Yeah. I mean, I think this is when you have to very actively take your emotions out, which up to this, I always considered most important for the stock market. But now I'm like, no, same skills here. Just remove all emotions and go purely based on math because your emotions are wrong (laughs) (laughs) that's perfect (laughs) okay i am going to now read out a question from a patreon subscriber we're going to answer the question and hopefully give some good advice this (laughs) is from a and here's her question Advice on preparing financially for a pending divorce when your money and bank accounts and investments are already separate. Oh, you're looking at me, I guess, because I'm the divorced one (laughs) out of the two of us. I was like, I don't know. I mean, if you're already separate, there's not a lot of that you have to do as long as you agree with how those are separated because there might be some disagreement if someone's account balances are larger versus the other, because even if your money is in different accounts, you're still like technically entitled to 50% of all the assets that have accumulated during the marriage. And so that kind of plays into it that even if the accounts are separate, it doesn't make it yours. It's still technically joint marital property. So it is worthwhile to like be transparent with each other or hopefully you were all right. Maybe not. Maybe that's why you're divorcing. So there's I was going to say, I feel like this advice depends on what type of divorce you're going through. Cause if it's going to be like a very fair divorce, it's different than if it's, if someone's going to come for more than 50%. Yeah, but you still can't like, it's illegal to hide assets. Right. So even even if it's going to be an acrimonious divorce, like you can't say that you have less than you actually do, unfortunately. I mean, if they don't want to fight you, then they don't want to fight you and you don't have to do a disclosure of finances. But I think a disclosure is like pretty standard procedure. I can't remember now. I've actually been divorced for so long. Like people often ask me for like divorce advice and I'm like, I can't remember because it was seven years ago. Well, Um, I was going to say, I feel like, it's illegal to hide money and to do all mm-hmm. of that, but sometimes people don't fully provide their income 
So that does change things. Income is a different thing, though, because you're not entitled to your ex-partner's income unless they were financially supporting you. And in, so there, if there was a big discrepancy in incomes, then alimony may or not be on the table. It kind of depends. In terms of assets, like they are joint marital property. And it again, this comes down to like how long you've been married. I wasn't married for very long, so it was really easy to unwind things. If you've been married for like 7, 10, 15 years, there's a little bit more you have to dig through of what is the fair value of all these assets and how do we split them. But it's nice like if you're having an amicable divorce and those do exist where people are like, I just don't want to fight. Let's just take things and go like you're allowed to do this. Like you can go to a lawyer and just be like, we want to be divorced, but we don't want to fight. And they'll be like, okay, and that's it. Um, And then you don't have to do any unwinding. If there's going to be arguments about the money and where it is, then yes, they're some things have to be disclosed and discussed, but it's also worth keeping in mind that like lawyers are very expensive and it's probably not worth arguing <laughs> over small amounts because it will all go to the lawyer. So like my main advice would be like, don't fight, do whatever it takes to like not fight and be fair. So that's a good way to avoid the fighting is to just be fair. But in terms of you, like be considerate of like how much you want to ask for. Because if it takes a lawyer to get that, it really diminishes the value of it. Yeah, this that's was good advice. A sad topic. <laughs> I know. Well, we usually do end on a really doomsday. <laughs> no. Yeah, I don't know if I have good advice. Like, it's easiest. Like, just sit down with a lawyer, and they'll give you what's actually legal. Like, you can have a meeting with a lawyer for like two hundred bucks or something, and they'll tell you. And that's the person to ask, not divorced people, because we don't know. I honestly think it would be worth it. I feel like that would be the first step I would take is by actually sitting down individually and asking what I needed and what would make the process easier. I think that would be worth the money. Yeah, I would I would speak to a lawyer first. And then my main advice is like, don't fight, especially over money, because the lawyers will take the money. So just don't fight. If you want to keep your money, don't fight. Perfect. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for listening to today's episode of Money Feels. You can subscribe to our podcast anywhere you listen and be on the lookout for a new episode next week. Join over 200 other subscribers on our Patreon for bonus content and for a chance to submit your questions for us to answer. Or you can support us for free with a five-star review and we'll see you next week. Follow us on Instagram at Mixed Up Money for Me, at Bridgie Casey for Bridget, and at Money Feels Podcast, and we'll see you next time.